Over the centuries, there have been countless tales of ruthless barbarism and merciless perversions that centered on inflicting terror and suffering on unexpecting quarries, individuals, and entire nations. Each region of the world, and certainly beyond this world, has crafted prolific psychopaths and architects of horrendous death. This story is about one such creature named Genghis Crunch. Perhaps you would expect me to say that none has ever been so prominent in sadistic bloodthirst as Crunch, but that is not something that I can profess. I will, however, claim that there are few as terrifying and mysterious as Crunch. But this is something that I nor anyone alive can prove with any material evidence. The tales of this beast, if not a man, are recorded in documents, books, soft, nervous whispers, and mocked fairy tales for over ten generations, beginning in the early 1800s. His story, with this, we are supposing it is a man, although elements of this tale define something far beyond flesh and blood, or tethered by age, is one that has spanned more years than seemingly possible for a mortal human. We can only surmise that much is fiction, and the product of fantasy arriving from the excitement of the lore resulting in expansion of the legend, or boredom imposed by the truth with a need to create the fantastic. However, very few victims that lived through their ordeal or escaped can attest with flesh-tingling detail the truth of all that seemed invented. For now, regardless of his brutish appearance, unnatural quantity of hair covering every part of his seven-foot-tall, bent-backed wide frame, and despite his stated gargoyle-like face, we will call him Man, for the sake of this story. The first countenance of Crunch with any precision of reporting was in 1818, a ship traveling from Izmir to Barcelona on January 1st with a ledger of 328 people, arrived with less than half of its occupants. The reports given from those traumatized by the event was that a man that was not seen on the ship for the first few days of its journey had torn into the community cabins below deck and began to decimate its denizens. Sleeping innocent men, women, and especially children. This thing tore men in half with its bare, fur-covered hands, and emitted a blood-curdling scream as it attacked. Some said that its eyes were bright yellow in the dim light of the cabin. Most claimed it wasn't human. Others claimed this to be exaggeration, and it was the glare of the yellow deck flame reflected against his exceptionally wide and rounded eyes. They couldn't tell if it was bent over as a natural posture, or in a manner fitting the height of the ceiling below. As it ravaged all in sight, unable to be stopped, it raced above deck, where many of the hysteria had scattered, and as many jumped overboard in their panic. Crunch went to work racing from screaming victim to screaming victim. It moved in the dim light, as if it were able to see in the dark with great aptitude. In the partial moonlight, the hair covering his body was more pronounced and seemed gray and was only bare on his face. His grotesque face, crooked and cracked teeth overlapping his bottom lip. 
His only article of clothing were old, disheveled, rotting pants that sagged on his body. His appearance and maddening howls were not the only astounding qualities recollected of the beast. His stench. Crunch reeked of rotting flesh and sewage. The smell burned the nostrils of those that were nearby. One young girl claimed that when the crew arrived with rifles and began firing at Crunch, it yelped, and with unimaginable speed, flew over the guardrail and into the depths where it could no longer be seen. A spontaneous devil arisen from the dark, now immersed in escape within the blackened Mediterranean depths close to Corsica. Historians studying Crunch only after doubtless evidence of his existence placed him, with great supposition and without real proof, as a Mongolian warlord that had made his way into Germany in the early 1800s. This was assumed based on reports of the existence of a freak show youth, a young sideshow oddity that traveled in a cage in a caravan from place to place, captured in Mongolia by hunters and brought to the German Confederation to be laughed at and mocked by those willing to pay to see a boy the size of a large man and covered in hair. His appearance, especially his face, with the yellowish hue of his eyes, caused women to faint and children to flee. Bent in an undersized cage for years, laughed at, prodden and beaten, while young Crunch focused on bending the cage bars with every moment of each day. His hands and arms grew incredibly strong from the routine attacks on the bars. His hairy frame, evolving to be covered in fur from the constant exposure to biting cold without any cover, became permanently bent. And his seething rage had now enveloped his mind fully beyond any repair. Crunch was the surname given to him by his handlers. He was given rotting raw meat to eat and shockingly consumed the bones as well with an echoing and nauseating crunching which destroyed his already pronounced overbite into shards of decaying teeth. No one wanted to go near the lad. As he grew, his cage did not. One day in a closed tent, being poked at by a young fat laughing boy, Crunch was struck in the eye, which enraged him beyond anything his masters had witnessed and he let out a deafening scream and tore the bars from their inserts and the cage was dismantled. One of the many that needed to be replaced, except this time, instead of running to a dark corner to cower in fear, his rage prompted him to attack the scurrying boy. Slowing only to cope with free movement for the first time to walk in his crippled form, he reached out his oversized hairy hands at the boy that had frozen in paralyzed fear as Crunch lifted him by the shoulders towards his face and yanked his head into his mouth. The boy finally left his stupor to allow for a final muffled scream before Crunch clamped down onto his neck and tore a massive gash before tearing the boy's body nearly in half, sending viscera across the interior of the tent and the guests screamed and attempted to flee. Crunch looked up at the panic mob and spoke for the first time. Run! Crunch will be free! Crunch will eat! Crunch will catch you all! You will be my food! 
I vow to be here forever. Terrorize your children and your children's children forever! Many couldn't find the flap egress of the tent in time and were shred by crunch swiftly before the beast finally fled into the dark woods of the Black Forest. Until now, that was the witness account of his final escape. That was one of many historical accounts across the decades that pinpointed, without fail, the precise description of Genghis Crunch, the beast of the Black Forest, the Ripper of the Mediterranean, the Wolfman of London, the Demon of the Alps, the Yeti of the Himalayas. Genghis Crunch was not of this world. The attacks became more seldom as they spread across Europe. Then, in the mid-1900s, they stopped. The last report of the Count bearing Crunch's exact description was in Marseille in 1955. Those that knew of Crunch made the obvious assumption that he had finally succumbed to a very advanced old age, a fantastical age of approximately 160 or more years. To this day, his documented data remains a regular focus for private meetings on the supernatural and occult. Not to be the muse for only the superstitious, many scientists have laid bare their interest in such a being that, despite overwhelming substantiation of his existence, wave it off in public forums as outlandish fairy tale. By the 70s, cults had sprung up professing him to be a prophet of impending doom, also claiming that he is one of an army of demons arriving to Earth to destroy it. Then, in 2017, during a small town carnival in Centralia, Pennsylvania, a family of four went missing during a picnic in Willow Park. This was a tragedy made more terrible once the remains were found near Locust Lake nearby. Flesh torn off, bones missing, and the remaining bones clearly chewed on. Bears were the first suggested as no other predator had the power to drag a family of four miles away, not wolves or wildcats. The footprints were massive and clearly human in shape. Then, something new came into the possession of local authorities. A young hiker named Orlando Pesadilla was out with his drone near the lake, and his footage stunned the investigators when brought to them. As the drone moved approximately a half a mile from Pesadilla towards the lake to attempt to catch a video of local deer at the water's edge, Pesadilla captured the image of a massive beast, first thought to be a bear, gorging itself by the lake. As the thing looked up at the whir of the drone, it was not a bear. Its face was void of any fur and the face of a hideous man with a shimmer of gold in its eyes. It rose, bent-backed, and threw something at the drone which fortunately missed, then roared and fled into the woods. The video was high definition and did not lie. This thing was Genghis Crunch. The investigators had no idea of Crunch, didn't know the lore, thought it a large man in a convincing gorilla costume that had gone mad murdered a family. This idea was as preposterous as the truth. When the footage leaked, those that knew of Crunch were certain that this was somehow him, now over 230 years old. Most certainly one of his brood, a great-great-grandson, or the favorite of the theories, a wannabe imposter. A murderer, to be sure, but someone from the Crunch cult 
trying to keep him alive. That theory was given the most oxygen. Then, Crunch took on a new persona. The Lurker of Shadows. Whatever the thing was, it was now rampant and moved quickly across the state and into neighboring states. Never seen in the light, but regardless of a countrywide manhunt, Crunch evaded capture and murdered and ate hundreds. His favorite haunt was the carnival. It wasn't until five or six incidences that it was seen as a pattern. Crunch was a regular plague of the carnival circuit in the area. Of course, this was enough to shut down every carnival, amusement park, fair, and circus in the surrounding states. The Lackawanna County Sheriff's Department wanted badly to catch this beast. They set up a lure event near Scranton, with the assumption that, based on sightings, Crunch was in that area. They advertised it and made it loud, amplifying this carnival across the state. The dummy carnival was empty, save for the mannequins dressed up in loud circus tunes blaring and, of course, the sheriff and deputies hidden across the venue. Sheriff had forced the evacuation of the area for safety reasons. The evening progressed for hours, with no sign of the monster. When they packed up the evening and returned to the station, they found the receptionist, two dispatch, and junior deputies slaughtered, and the walls coated with their blood. The wall in the hallway had writing, in crimson, that simply said, No. The bodies were torn apart, and parts gnawed on. Some parts were never found. The CCTV showed little footage, a large shadow of darkness covering the lens before it was ripped from the ceiling. The only untouched video was from the outside that showed something huge, running at a rapid pace towards the door of the precinct, and smashing through it with a loud roar. It was dark, but they could clearly see what was most certainly a human-like figure with a seven-plus-foot frame of something massive and covered in grayish fur. It was approximately two and a half years before Crunch was seen again. It was fleeting, but resulted in two campers being killed in Oregon, then again in Washington State. This time, the sighting was of a giant, face of a demon, yellow eyes, and heavy patches of grayish-black fur, covering muscle-hewn brown skin, leathery, and back as crooked as a scimitar. Genghis Crunch began to move north. The demon was not seen or heard of again until this night. Colleen Downey was living in a small house in the suburbs of Winnipeg, Manitoba. It was early October and it was getting cold. She lived alone with her dog, Winnie. Colleen was getting prepared for sleep. She needed to be up at 5 a.m. for work. The whipping wind against the window caused such a constant din that she barely heard the whimper of Winnie, her small terrier, that despite the nasty conditions outside that meant little to the little beast, needed to get out for her evening relief. Colleen wrapped herself in her housecoat, boots and woolen Winnipeg jets took, and steeled herself for the blast of the cold when she opened the door. She picked her keys off the dining table, quickly threw the door open to get out just as quickly and close it behind her as to keep the heat inside. Winnie only moving at the last minute to avoid getting smacked by the door. She was eager to get out, still whimpering. There was no snow yet, but that would come soon. As she gently put Winnie on the ground, 
She raced for the tree line behind the house as was her favorite discreet spot for doing her business. After all, she was a lady. Colleen stared at her phone while she awaited Winnie's return. Tapping at the screen, replies and conversations and general viewing of mindless videos of vacant teens dancing to nobody. Behind Colleen, unbeknownst to her, over seven feet off the ground, two accented yellow orbs cut through the black, silent and watching. A dangling, lifeless terrier pup gripped in one of its hands. Its first step made enough noise for Colleen to jump, thinking that perhaps it was her dog. Colleen heard little after that. Crunch! Hungry! No, look at me! Colleen spun around, saw her whinny in the massive clutches of something terrible. She screamed. Crunch. Charged. Then, with a full belly, Crunch was on the move again, eastward towards Ontario. Ancient evil, devourer of men moving eastward. Crunch wanted to get back home, somehow, wherever that was across the sea. Russia, Mongolia, Turkey, Nepal. Somewhere in Asia, he felt the call to return after centuries. Takumi Miyagi was an American from Massachusetts, hired as a lead petroleum engineer in one of Petro-Canada's facilities near Oakville, outside of Toronto. During his 4 a.m. icy ride to work from St. Catharines just an hour south, he blew a tire and skidded to the side of the road. He arrived safely to the shoulder of the road and was not looking forward to changing a tire in minus 12 degrees Celsius. He was quite handy on all fronts and knew how to repair a tire, but nobody wants to be lifting a car and changing a tire in the biting cold in the early morning. The road was dark with highway lights only every quarter kilometer. He happened to land at one of the in-between dark spots. He put on his hazard lights, exiting the car, bundled with scarf and hat locked in place. He moved to the trunk to retrieve his jack and reflective hazard sign, placed it on the road, and got to work raising his vehicle. He was most certainly going to be late for work. As Takumi grunted each lever push, he couldn't help but be gripped with an uncomfortable sensation that he was not alone. He had heard sounds coming from the tree line, but thought it was the cold wind, until he, subconsciously, understood that they sounded too mechanical, purposeful. He didn't move, nor did he continue pumping the jack. He just crouched at the tire and listened. Then another sound far less covert than before. He smelled something wild, a terrible scent like rotting roadkill. He knew this was a bear. They were rarely seen in that area, preferring the north part of the province from Aurora onward. He waited, then heard a booming voice which shocked him to his core. Something completely unexpected. You don't turn around, said the voice in a near growl. Uh, okay, said Takumi. What do you want? No reply came. I'm turning around now. This is weird. Who are you? 
out of the frantic Takumi. You look, and you will die. It said, as it approached with a couple of steps. Takumi was terrified. The voice was now directly behind Takumi, and its voice sounded ten feet above him, as he crouched with his knees beginning to cramp from the cold, and he held his position. Where is way to home? It whispered. What? replied Takumi. Where is home? It repeated more amplified. Crunch want to go home. Where is sea? Where is boat? It asked. The, well, the closest sea is uh, east towards Quebec, then towards Nova Scotia, that way. No, no, wait, 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 no, no. Stopping to think. That way, that way, that way. Takumi pointed eastward. There are a lot of boats that go on the sea. Fishing boats. Uh, you can look for a cruise if you want to go to Europe. It's that way. Yes. Boat. Home. The thing let out a long, low exhale. <sighs> then slowly walked back towards the forest in the direction that Takumi had pointed. Takumi decided to risk the peak, peered over his shoulder, comforted in the sounds of the heavy lumbering footsteps clearly moving away from him by the vaguest of remote highway light and even more vague moonlight. He saw a giant, hairy, crooked object disappearing into the darkness. Then, stop. Takumi immediately turned his head back to the car, breathing heavily and afraid. You turn. You look at me. The voice said from approximately six meters away. I tell you, not look at me. No, I was wiping my chin on my shoulder. I didn't look at you. I promise. No. He replied in sobs. Now with an understanding of the horror he was dealing with, a long, deep, terrible exhale came from the beast. And Takumi stood and sprinted off as quickly as he could down the highway, making a 90-degree turn and tore off into the woods. Crunch pursued. The sight of a quarry teasing to be chased was too much for him to resist. Takumi Miyagi's car was found abandoned on the road with its blown tire. Miyagi was found shortly after only a two-minute walk into the forest, hanging high up on a large sugar maple branch, disemboweled, with his face in a paralyzed scream. There were accounts and casualties of Crunch's journey to the furthest reaches of the country all the way to the east coast. In the dark of night, at the port of Halifax, Crunch stowed onto a ship to Ireland. The destination information of the ship's port of arrival was made clear to the abomination by one of the ship's crew in the wee hours of morning, before he too was gutted, partially devoured, and tossed overboard. Crunch found his way into an open storage container of appliance boxes and hid in the rear until they reached their destination. Crunch was now very hungry and had just reached Galway. He was finally in Europe as his journey was now halved. When the creature emerged from the dark container, 
to the silent and still vessel. At night, he took to the water to find a more uninhabited place of re-entry. The countryside was filled with sheep and foxes, ample nutrition for a hungry demon. However, soon Crunch would need excitement as his occasional rage flourished. He would need human prey. After all, it was they who created him. They who tortured him. They who mocked him and instilled that anger and bloodlust that has now become his most predatorial characteristic, even over the need to sate his hunger. Violence was the primary directive of his small mind. He would soon come across country fairs, the places of his creation and deformation, and explode into cruel and hysterical savagery to unsuspecting women, children, and men. Genghis Crunch was elusive. He would find his way back home, wherever that was. The acrid stench of the monstrosity permeated the cold wind of the countryside, cautioning beasts of all sizes to flee. His bloody odyssey continued until he returned to the place of his birth. <laughs>